Hey, and thanks for tuning in to the Father's House podcast. The Father's House exists to see people discover life in Jesus. We hope that today's message brings you fresh life and renewed hope as you listen. Enjoy. We've been in a series for uh, the last two weeks entitled The Great I Am, and we are looking at eight of the powerful statements Jesus makes of himself in the book of John, and uh, all of them start with those two words, I am. Am. Uh, if you are joining us for the first time, which I heard we had a lot of new folks in the room this morning, uh, let me do my best to catch you up to speed before we get into this morning's content. In uh, the first week of this series, we looked at the origin of God's introduction as I am. It's all the way back in Exodus chapter 3, where God is telling Moses that he's going to send him back to the Israelites in Egypt for deliverance. And Moses tells the Lord, who am I to tell the Israelites sent me? They're going to want to know on what authority I'm coming to deliver them, so who should I say is sending me to them? And the Lord tells Moses to say, I am that I am is sending you, or chaya asher chaya in the Hebrew, which means I am becoming that which I need to become for the situation at hand. It is an all-powerful name of God to suggest, suggest that he is able to become whatever he needs to become for any situation ever, the highest name above them all. In the second week, we began to, okay, yeah, that's great. Uh, in the second week, we begin to talk about the fact that Jesus now, pointing back to Exodus 3, uh, and the journey of the Israelites through the wilderness says, I am the bread of life that came down from heaven. And we determined that in the same way, the manna fell from heaven and sustained and fulfilled the Israelites in the desert uh, and then carried them into the promised land. So Jesus does the same for us. He meets all of our heart's needs and desires. He brings us true fulfillment and he carries us into eternity. Uh, and then last week, uh, Robin preached an incredible message about the I am statement from John chapter 14, where she quoted what she said was the most popular or uh, the most commonly referred to I am statement, where Jesus says, I am the way, I am the truth, and I am the life. Nobody comes to the Father but through me. And we unpacked each of those words and talked about his ways needing to be our ways, his truth needing to be our truth, and ultimately us exchanging our life for his so that we can enter into eternity. Uh, today, we're gonna look at the next of Jesus's I am statements. It's found in the book of John, chapter eight, and uh, another commonly quoted one, and I'm looking forward to this. It's, it's a short passage of scripture, but we're gonna spend all of our time unpacking this today. Uh, John, chapter eight, verse 12. It says this, Jesus spoke to the people once more, and he said, I am the light of the world. If you follow me, you won't have to walk in darkness because you will have the light that leads to life. I am the light of the world. If you follow me, you're gonna have the light that leads to life. So, so Jesus has now said, I am the bread. I am the way, the truth, and the life. And today we're unpacking his statement, I am the light of the world. Uh, based on that declaration and the surrounding statements, I'm going to offer you a title for our chat this morning uh, in keeping with Robin's theme last week of cushions, not clubs. I want to call this one uh, lanterns, not light bulbs, lanterns, not light bulbs. You didn't give me as much praise as you gave her last week. That's cool. Someone literally walked up to me after church last week and they're like, hey, your sermon titles have been a little lame lately. I'm just gonna throw it out there. Robin, like she had a really good one today. So you're gonna need to keep up with your wife. So I'm trying to bring my game here, people. And I got nothing out of you, all right? I might look like I'm spiritually mature, but we are fiercely competitive as a couple, all right? 
I still have not lived down a push-up contest I lost 17 years ago to her. And so can you just give me a little bit of love with the sermon title, all right? Lanterns, not light bulbs. You're not even clapping, babe. Whatever. Fine. Pray for our marriage. Okay. Let's invite the Holy Spirit to come as we go to the word. Jesus, help. Uh, thank you for your word. Thank you that it has the power to transform us. Show us today what it means when you say you are the light and help us to follow you as you've invited us to do by the text today. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Uh, I think as I've studied over the last few days these statements about the light, I think that this is probably John's most important declaration of Jesus, the, the one that he feels is the most significant among the I am statements. If you were to just whittle down the Bible to the writings of the Apostle John, you would find that other than the subject of love, there is nothing he talks about more than light. He seems to constantly talk about this idea of God being light. So much so that he starts two of his largest books with this very subject. At the beginning of his gospel, he begins to talk about Jesus being the light that brings life. And he says, this light shines into the darkness and the darkness cannot extinguish it. Uh, in 1 John, his, his later letter, he starts out by talking about God being light. He says, God is light. And if we claim to be in the light as he is in the light, then we will walk and live a certain way. Anyone who says that they are in the light, but they continue to live in darkness, they're a liar and the truth is not in him. But we've been called to live in the light as he is in the light. Or if you prefer DC Talk, I want to be in the light as you are in the light. I want to shine, shine like stars in the heavens. Okay, like eight of you knew that song. That's cool. Welcome. Uh, thank God you were not a part of the 90s Christian music. It was a rough time. It was a rough time in the body of Christ. So over and over again, John uh, begins to draw this connection between God and light. God and light. Jesus and light over and over again in his writings. And, and I think the reason he is so obsessed with this connection is because perhaps more so than any of the other I am statements, this one backs up Jesus's claim to be the Messiah. If you were to read through the Old Testament, you would see that virtually every one of the statements Jesus makes or John makes about light is tied to an Old Testament prophecy about the coming Messiah. From the book of Genesis all the way to Malachi or Malachi, depending on whether or not you're Italian, uh, there are all of these statements about God being light. Uh, one theologian, William Barclay, he, he says it like this. He says, the word light was specially associated with Jewish thought and language with God. The Lord is my light, Psalm 27. The Lord will be your everlasting light, Isaiah 60. By his light, I walk through darknesses, Job 29. When I sit in darkness, the Lord will be a light to me, Micah 7. The, the rabbis declared that the name of the Messiah was light. And when Jesus claimed to be the light of the world, he was making a claim than which none could possibly be higher. To put it concisely, for Jesus to claim to be the light is a direct claim on his deity. He's saying, I'm not just some prophet like the prophets of old. I'm not just a really good preacher that you like to listen to. I'm not just a miracle worker among you. I am the great I am. I am the one that you've been waiting for. I am God among you in human flesh. This is a massive declaration of Jesus. It's not subtle. It is incredibly overt because it points back to every single one of the Old Testament prophecies of him. 
But, but I think for us to, to fully grasp the weight and thereby the application of this statement Jesus makes, it would behoove us to go back to the original language for just a moment and look at the, the very specific word that Jesus uses when he declares, I am the light. I, I think if we don't understand the original text, it might lead us to an inaccurate application because we will look at this scripture through the lens of our modern context. So, so let's go back to the, to the Greek for just a moment. This, this word light in the Greek language is the word phos, phos. And it means the fire of a lantern or a torch. The fire of a lantern or a torch. It's where we get the word phosphorus, which is one of the most uh, flammable uh, things on, on planet Earth. It, it ignites at 87 degrees, which is a really low ignition point. It, it's, it's a word that, that means this fire is coming quickly. It, it's, it's something that is among you. There would have been an image that the Israelites saw as soon as Jesus made this statement. They would have known exactly what he was talking about. And, and to the best of my uh, illustration ability today, it, it, it looked something like this. It would have been an oil lantern. Oh, please work. There we go. An oil lantern like this. He says, I am the flame that comes from a lantern. Those little things that you carry around in your house, those things that you use to walk through the city, this is me. This is me. Now, now the reason, this is a really big flame. I did not expect it to be that high. Please don't catch my hairs on fire. The reason I think it's important that we understand this image is because often when we hear the word light in our modern context, this is not what we see. Because of our technological advancements in our day and age, when we hear the word light, we immediately go to one of these, a light bulb. And that may not seem like a big, a big deal. You're like, who cares? They both emit light. <laughs> You're being a bit pedantic today, Pastor Tim. Well, let me explain, as the title suggests, why it's important that we understand Jesus is saying he is a lantern and not a light bulb. Okay? I'm going to do this by demonstration. Before I do, uh, small disclaimer. Um, a few years ago, we were doing a series here uh, as we went through the book of 1 John called Am I Going to Heaven? And at the beginning of that series, I uh, used a similar illustration to the one I'm going to use today as we unpacked John's statements where uh, he says to be in the light is to live in the light, and we cannot live in the light and live in darkness at the same time. Uh, and so many of you were not here, which means this is going to be a brand new illustration for you. Uh, some of you were here, but it was in the middle of COVID and you disconnected from the church for a while. And I know who you are. So you did not see this illustration. But for those of you who did see it, I promise I've amended it ever so gently to fit our current text today. So don't judge me for a lack of creativity. All right, uh, Isaac, if you could, would you pull down the lights for just a moment? All the way, please. There we go. Okay. So Jesus says, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me does not have to walk in darkness. In other words, it's a choice. You can choose to walk in darkness or you can choose to walk in the light. We say it like this. Everybody's walking somewhere, but you determine that where. Will you be someone who walks in the light or someone who walks in the darkness? So that brings us to the bulb. If 
everybody is walking somewhere, then the fundamental problem with a light bulb is that it's stationary. It doesn't move. The only way for me to benefit from what this bulb has to offer is if I am physically located in its proximity. But if we're all walking all the time, then the only time I can be in its proximity is when I pass by. But then I end up walking right back into the darkness from whence I came. And then I come back and walk through the light. But we do this back and forth dance where we're never truly benefiting from the light at all times. If Jesus is a bulb, then he is a location we visit and not a flame that we follow. And sadly, I think this is how many people associate with the light. This is their relationship with the light. They pass by it on the occasional Sunday or they pass by it on Easter or on Christmas, but then they spend the rest of their life living out here in the dark. Walking around in darkness. They do romantic relationships in the dark. They visit websites in the dark. They handle their money in the dark. They adopt cultural persuasions in the dark. They cope and deal with pain in the dark. Everything becomes a dance in the dark. Why? Because they've traded the flame in for a bulb. But you know what happens when Jesus becomes a bulb? Instead of walking with the light as we are supposed to do, we end up running to the light only in times of crisis. When, when the relationship fails or when there's a money problem or when the deeds we've done in darkness come back to haunt us, we run over to the light hoping that we can get what the light has to offer. But then the moment things are fixed, the situation changes, the, the diagnosis turns out to, to be false. We're like, okay, I'm going to walk right back to where I came from. But, but Jesus did not say in John chapter 8 that he was a bulb. He is not a stationary bulb that we get to pass by from time to time. He said, I am a flame. I'm a moving fire. I am not something you come in and out of. I am something you walk with all the days of your life. I am by your side. I am the God that is with you. It does not matter where you go. If you choose to follow me, there will be illumination in every season, at every step. You will never have to worry about whether you have a light in the darkness. He is a lantern, not a light bulb. Somebody say amen. Isaac, you can turn those lights back on before I kill myself up here. Thank you. Okay, so I give you that illustration because I want you to see that picture in your mind's eye as we move on into this text. I want you to, re to keep that image in your mind. Having now established that he is not a bulb, but he is in fact a flame, here's how I would like to invest the rest of our time together. I want to look at a couple of things that follow, following the light offer to us individually. If I could categorize them, it would be this. Something we all want, something we all need, and something we're all promised. Following the light gives us all something we need, something we want, and something we're promised. So, so let's start where our flesh wants to start, the things that we want, shall we? <laughs> 
Uh, If we are those who follow this invitation to come into the light, then the first thing we get is direction. We get direction. That's perhaps the most obvious thing that following the light offers to each of us, a divine direction for our life, the thing that all of us crave. And no one would have been more convinced of this reality or this offering than the very people that Jesus was speaking to this day as he stands up in the temple treasury and declares, I am the light. Let let me explain. Um, If we read back one chapter in John 7, we find that Jesus makes these statements about himself during a Jewish holiday known as Sukkot, or the Festival of Shelters, as we call it in English. And the Festival of Shelters was a seven-day celebration of the Jewish people where they remembered their ancestors' time in the wilderness as they traveled through the the Sinai Desert into the Promised Land. And, And the reason it's called the Festival of Shelters is because during these seven days, people would literally move out of their homes and they would set up tents outside their property and they would live in shelters as their ancestors lived in during their time in the desert. Kind of a forced camping trip, which is why I do not celebrate this holiday, even though I am part Jewish. I'm not interested in camping. So Sukkot, that that is what they did. But what's fascinating about this celebration and the timing of Jesus' statements is, is that they come on the heels of the opening event of Sukkot. On the very first night of this, uh, this festival, there was a ceremony known as the illumination of the temple. And in the temple courts, they would set up four candelabra and they would light these candles on fire until there was a big flame in the middle of this circle. And then all night long, the people who came to celebrate the festival would literally dance and sing and celebrate in a circle around this flame. And I know that doesn't sound like a very Christian thing to do. You're like, that sounds more like Coachella than it does a church, people dancing around a fire all night long. But the reason they, they started the celebration out with this flame that they danced around was because it was a symbolic moment to remember the fire that fell from heaven and guided them through the desert. There was a pillar of fire, as you read back in the book of Exodus, that guided the people of God every day. At times it would rest on top of the temple and they were supposed to stay still. Other times it would move, but it was the director. It was the navigator for the people in the desert. They never had to wonder where they were supposed to go because there was a flame that led them. And I bet you'll never guess where Jesus stands up to make this declaration of himself. In the very same courtyard, where they had been celebrating the night prior around this flame. Picture this. Jesus stands up among the extinguished candles of this moment in the celebration, knowing that all night long these people have been celebrating the pillar of fire. And he makes this declaration. I am the light of the world. Anyone who follows me does not have to walk in the darkness of the desert just like your ancestors did not have to walk in that desert. He's pointing back to the very thing that they're celebrating. He's saying in the same way that your ancestors did not have to worry about where to go, they didn't have to worry about what path to take or what direction to to travel, I am offering you a direction for your life. I'm offering you a flame that will guide you through the darkness. You won't have to be concerned about what steps to take and not know where to travel or what doors to walk through. I'm giving you divine direction for your life so that every step can be ordained by me. If you follow me, 
you'll have this light that guides you. Isn't this what we all want? This is, this is what all of us desire. To know what job am I supposed to take? How am I supposed to raise my kids? What doors am I supposed to walk through? What doors am I supposed to stay away from? This is what we all long for. And Jesus promises with this declaration, I will be that direction for your life. You will not have to live in, in curiosity or chaos and not knowing where to go. Step by step, I will direct and ordain your life so that you don't get onto the wrong path, but that you stay in the direction of that flame. And to be clear, he's not offering you unlimited clarity, okay? I'm not, I'm not gonna dangle that carrot today because it's not true. He's not gonna say, here's where you'll be in five years, here's where you'll be in 10 years. It doesn't work like that. Tomorrow isn't even promised for you. So you may not even know where you're going after 10, 14 today, all right? But here's what he does offer you. He offers you clarity about the next step. You, you saw the room turn dark just a moment ago, Right? This flame did not light up the whole room, did it? it? It was not enough for me to see you guys sitting up there in the back. I couldn't have seen what Celso was doing at the sound booth, but it did provide enough light for me to take my next step. To know, oh, I'm supposed to go this way, and I'm supposed to go that way. Oh, okay, this is what I'm supposed to do over here. Your next step will be clear. And side note, if the next step isn't clear, if it doesn't feel like the flame has gone before you and told you where to go, there's probably a good chance it's settled on the temple as it did in the wilderness, and you're not supposed to go anywhere. You're just supposed to stay still for a little while until the flame moves again, because you don't want to get ahead or lag behind where the Spirit is leading you, so just stay put for a season. That one's for free. Okay, so having established that, I need to give you one brief warning, okay? This is an addendum to this point before we get into the next one. When it comes to following the light, here's a little warning from Uncle Tim. Make sure that the light you're following is the right light. I think one of the more terrifying scriptures in the entire Bible is 2 Corinthians chapter 11, where the Apostle Paul tells us that the devil, Satan, your adversary, he masquerades or dresses himself up like an angel of light. In other words, he presents himself like light, but it's a counterfeit light. It's not the real thing. That's why Jesus says in Luke chapter 11, be careful, the light that you think you have is not actually darkness. Apparently, one of the ploys and strategies of the devil is to present things to you in a version of light that is not God's light, and he'll usually do it by presenting something that looks good, but it is not God. It's a good opportunity, but it's not a God opportunity, which is a bit unnerving, isn't it? Like, I, okay, uh, I thought I was on the right path. Apparently I'm on the satanic path. I don't want to be on the satanic path. What do I do? <laughs> don't worry. I love you too much to leave you there on Satan's path, okay? So let, let me, uh, not saying you're on Satan's path. Take that out for the next sermon. Okay. <laughs> no to the 11. Let me offer a very brief bit of advice at the risk of oversimplifying a very complicated subject. This is something my pastor shared with me probably 20 years ago, and it has not failed me yet. So I offer this to you. If you're wondering what the next steps look like, and you're not sure if it's God's light or another light trying to masquerade itself, here's my, my advice to you. Just follow the peace. Follow the peace. Jesus 
only leads you with peace. He doesn't lead you with confusion. He doesn't leave you bewildered. He leads with peace. The enemy will present things to you that look good, but for some reason, there won't be peace. It might look like a great opportunity, but it just doesn't sit right in your spirit. It might look like more money, but for some reason, you're like, I I should want that, but I don't. Something just doesn't settle right in me. He might have a six-pack and a six-figure income, but when you're with him, you just don't have any peace. (laughs) There's something that just doesn't sit right in your spirit. Well, Well, here's what I've learned. If there's no peace, it's probably not God. It's probably a temptation dressed up like light to derail your life and take you down a path you should not be on. But if it's God, you will have the peace that accompanies that decision. So when you are faced with a decision that is going to lead you into an inevitable direction, the best question you can ask yourself is, do I have like inner peace about this? Is this just settle right in my spirit? Because listen, here's the cool thing about peace. It is not circumstantial. Meaning you will have peace about things you should not have peace about. You'll have peace about things that everybody else thinks you're crazy for. Like, what, what are you thinking? Why would you do that? What, that, that? That's unreasonable. That's expensive. No one in their right mind. And yet something inside of you is like, no, I know this is exactly where the Lord is calling me to be. And if that sounds like like preacher talk or just dangling a carrot, just look around the church you're sitting in right now to prove that that point is legitimate. You do not uproot your life and move to San Francisco because it's a great idea to plan a church, a really stable career path where you can, you know, just coast for the rest of your days into retirement. No, 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 no. And yet when every logical bone in our body and every fabric of our being was screaming, you're crazy, peace said, follow me into the city. And man, let me tell you, that peace has guided us into some incredible seasons for the last four and a half years. So follow the peace. To follow the flame is to follow the peace. So the first thing that Jesus' statements offer to us, if we follow, it's divine direction. Something we all desire, direction. But in addition to that which we desire, it also offers something that each of us require. Something we all need. And the second thing, following the light, will result with in your life is correction. (laughs) Correct me, Lord. Correction. Uh, Just mark my words. When you make a decision to follow Jesus, you will have ample opportunity for divine correction. (laughs) He's really good at it. We have a a phrase that we use around here all the time. Uh, It said, Jesus will take you just as you are. And it's truth. He will. You don't have to clean yourself up to come to Jesus. You don't have to live a certain way to get saved. You don't have to to make your life look a certain way or jump through hoops before Jesus invites you into his family. He goes right into the ditch, right into the brokenness, right into the pain, right into the sin. You can come to Jesus just as you are, but he loves you too much to let you stay as you are. He'll let you come as you are, but he will not let you stay as you are. And the only way to change is through correction. So do not be surprised when you start following the light and that light begins to shine in some dark spaces of your life to reveal some things that need to be addressed and corrected. 
Don't be surprised when you make a decision to follow Jesus and he starts shining a light on that relationship that you shouldn't be in or that mindset you shouldn't cling to any longer or that ideology you got from the world and not from the scriptures and that sin pattern that you continue to follow. Don't be surprised when he starts shining his light into some dark areas of your life. He's, he is faithful to shine for the purpose of correction. There's a prayer I pray every single day of my life out of Psalms chapter 19. And it says, how can a man know all the sin that is lurking within him? I love that word, lurking sin. <laughs> lurking within him. Cleanse me from my hidden ways and keep me from deliberate sins. May they not control me. Then I will be free of guilt and innocent of great sin. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be pleasing to you, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. And it's amazing to me how at the beginning of that prayer, when I say, God, I don't even know all the sin that is in my heart. Cleanse me from my hidden ways. It's amazing how that light begins to shine on some things in my life. It's amazing how God begins to speak to me about things I said the day before or mindsets that I'm still carrying or things that I didn't even realize were there, but he's faithful to point out and shed his light onto. He's good at it. And we've all experienced that before. We've all been in reading the word or or prayer or, or in the middle of worship and then suddenly the light begins to shine. And that dark area of our life begins to get exposed. We've we've all been there like, I will make room for you to do whatever you want to. He's like, oh, whatever I want to. Let's talk about that anger issue right quick. Let's talk about that addiction. Let's talk about that sin pattern that you haven't been able to shake. And then the tune changes. I would make room for you, but now I don't want to. (laughs) Now I don't want to. (laughs) We've all been on the other side of that light. And sadly, that light becomes the off-ramp for a lot of people. When the light of God's goodness begins to shine into the dark areas, many of us begin to run from the light right back into the darkness from where we came. We, we, we begin to retreat back and trade in our lantern for the bulb because we would rather have a Jesus that allows us unlimited access to his love without his lordship. We want a Jesus that will give us all of his blessings, but we don't have to submit to his authority. We, we want a Jesus that allows us to come running in times of need, but we don't want to have to deal with his correction and obedience to his word. Nah, that doesn't sit right. And Jesus describes this behavior in John chapter three. He says this. He says, they refuse to go near the light. Why? For fear that their sins will be exposed. So we stay at a distance from the light. But if, if I could be honest with you, and I apologize if this is too forward, but it needs to be said. If you are looking for a version of Jesus that is non-confrontational, a version that allows you to walk around in darkness for most of your days and retreat to the light in times of need and get what you need so that you can go right back to where you came from, I hate to break it to you, but that Jesus does not exist. That is an idol that religion has built up in our minds, but it does not align with the teachings of scripture. There is no redemption without repentance. There is no sanctification without surrender. As the old preachers used to say, he's either Lord of all or he is not Lord at all in our lives. He demands obedience to his word. And he will be faithful to correct. But listen, it's not because he's trying to expose you or shame you or make you feel guilty for what you've done. It's because he loves you. He corrects those he loves, as it says in Hebrews. 
It's not because he's angry. It's not because he wants to judge. Because like a father loves their child, he loves you and he wants to see your life transformed. In fact, his correction is the very evidence of his love for you. He he loves you too much to leave you as you are. You can come as you are. But man, his love will make you change. And and so if, if I could synopsize this entire section of the sermon and put it into a nice catchy little phrase that you could put in your pocket and take home with you to remember. Here's what I would say. When the light comes, be a moth, not a cockroach. You like that one, B? Yeah. Be a moth, not a cockroach. When the light turns on, what do the roaches do? They run. But the moth, when the light shines on your life, do not run away and hide into the darkness again. No, you begin to walk towards that light. Because listen, if what Jesus says about himself is true, if he is in fact a flame, then the closer you get, the faster those impurities begin to burn off of your life. And the only thing that remains is that which what he has for your future. Say, be a moth, not a roach. There it is. Tweet that. Okay. So he gives us something we all desire. He gives us something we all need. But the third of them, something that we are all promised if we follow the light. Last thought. What are we promised? Salvation. Salvation. Uh, Let's come back one more time to our scripture. I'll invite the worship team to come as we get ready to conclude. John chapter eight, verse 12, one more time. Jesus spoke to the people once more and he said, I am the light of the world. If you follow me, you will not have to walk in darkness because look at this, you will have the light that leads to life. A light that leads to life. So not only is Jesus promising that we don't have to walk in darkness here on earth, he's also promising that this light is leading us somewhere. Let me say it like this. He is leading us somewhere. In the same way that a pillar of fire led the people through the wilderness until they found themselves on the border of a promised land, at which point the flame was no longer necessary because they were where they were supposed to be. Jesus is saying, I am the light that will lead you to a place I call life. And now in the fourth week of this series, that word should, pun intended, have a light bulb moment for us. Because we've discussed now for weeks that when Jesus uses this Greek word for life, he's not talking about pleasant circumstances here on earth. He he is not offering that cheap gospel that you've heard many times before. If you follow me, then all your problems are gonna be dealt with. There's not gonna be trial or sickness or trauma in your life any longer. He doesn't promise that, I'm sorry. In fact, he promises the opposite. John 16, in this life, you're gonna have some troubles. You're gonna go through some stuff. I know that's not the scripture you have tattooed on your arm or sitting on the magnet on your fridge. Yay, we're gonna go through troubles, hallelujah. But it's reality. So, so Jesus is not saying here, if you follow me, all your problems are gonna go away. But he is saying, if you follow me, I'm going to lead you somewhere. I'm going to lead you to a place called life. What is life? 
It's eternity. It's heaven. In the first statement, he was the bread of life that carried us through the wilderness to lead us to eternity. Last week, he was the way, the truth, and the life that is exchanged for our eternity. And today, he says, I will be the light that leads you into eternity. I'll lead you to heaven. And you know what's cool about heaven besides everything? (laughs) In heaven, there's no darkness. In heaven, darkness ceases once and for all, never to be dealt with again. Last scripture written again by the apostle John in his final letter, Revelation chapter 21. Look at how he describes heaven. He says, then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. The old heaven and the old earth had disappeared. The sea was also gone and I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem coming down from God out of heaven like a bride beautifully dressed for her husband. I heard a loud shout from the throne saying, look, God's home is now among his people. He will live with them and they will be his. God himself will be with them. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death, no more sorrow, no more crying and no more pain. All these things are gone forever. I saw no temple in the city for the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are its temple. And the city has no need for sun or moon for the glory of God illuminates the city and the Lamb is its light. The nations will walk in his light and the kings of the world will enter this city in all their glory. Its gates will never be closed at the end of day. Why? Because there is no night there. Darkness has ceased forever. This is heaven. This is the promise that he makes to us. If you follow me, this is where I'm leading you. Yeah, you're going to go through some stuff here on earth, but there will be a day where every tear will be wiped away, where every cancer will be healed, where every sickness will be cast down, where every bit of drama you had to walk through will be worth it because you are living in the light of the Lamb for eternity. How do we get there? We follow. We follow. So if you need direction today, follow the light. If you're bold enough to admit you need some correction in your life today, follow the light. But if you're not sure, if you were to walk out of this room today and find yourself in a traumatic situation where you ended up in your eternal state by this afternoon, if you're not sure where that would be, I'm gonna invite you to follow the light this morning so that this becomes your inheritance in Jesus' name. Amen? Amen. Let's bow our heads and pray. Ah, Jesus, thank you for this, this promise of your word. Thank you that you direct our steps. That the path of the righteous gets brighter and brighter until the full gleam of dawn. That you are the, the word that lights our path. Thank you that we never have to worry about what to do next, but God, you will give us the step-by-step directions. Thank you for your correction. Thank you that it it proves your love for us. Even now, as this group of people sitting in a room, myriad of issues represented, I'm sure, myself included, would you be faithful to correct those areas in our life that need to be adjusted? God, would we be like the moth? Would we run to the flame? Would we embrace your correction knowing that it's in love that you wanna see us transformed? If repentance is necessary, God, we just, 
we, we pray right now that we would have a responsive heart to say, forgive me of my sins so that we could be made right with you. And thank you that you lead us to eternity. Right now, if you're in this room and, and you would say, Tim, I, I do not know where my eternal state is secured. I, I do feel that distance from God and maybe I've been coming to the light bulb, but I, I understand today that I need to cling to that lantern and follow the flame. And you know you've been at a distance from God and don't wanna remain there any longer. I wanna pray a simple prayer of commitment. Picture that lamp being placed in your hands so that you can walk from this day forward. And if that's you and you wanna be included in this prayer with me, would you just quickly slip up a hand and say, Tim, I, I need to pray that with you. Got you, bro. Yeah, right here, sweet. Yeah, right over there, awesome. Got you, sis, cool. Hallelujah. All right. Everybody in the room, let's join with these making this decision this morning and pray along with them so they don't feel alone. Say, Jesus, today I give you my life. I thank you for sacrificing yours for mine. I choose to follow you, to be your disciple. Forgive me of my sins and help me to walk in your ways from this day forward until I see you in eternity. In Jesus' name, and the church said amen, amen. Come on, let's celebrate every single one of those making that choice today. Hey, thanks for taking the time to listen to the Father's House podcast. We hope it helped you wherever you're at in your journey. And listen, we wanna pray with you if you're going through something right now that's difficult. You can go to our website, tfh.church, and click on the prayer and praise link and tell us how to join you in prayer. Until next time, be blessed.